Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Ethan Riley from Cincinnati, Ohio. Ethan trains out of club MMA. He is a four-in-one amateur MMA fighter at 24 years old. Realistically, looks like he's not far off from having a nice run at a pro career. Really enjoyed today's episode. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, uh, I'm going to press a button which will read the sponsors for the podcast in here here in just a minute but in particular if you want to support the show send me some health insurance referrals um, family business i work for based out of troy ohio so just north of dayton i work out of my louisville office but we can take care of you whether it's me here in kentucky or probably my brother uh, michael up in ohio anywhere in ohio any health insurance you need send me uh, that person's information. I'd be more than happy to help you uh, with it. Also, I do a lot of work in Florida. So send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined from Cincinnati, Ohio by Ethan Riley. Ethan, you are in Cincinnati right now, right? Yes, sir. That is correct. Okay. Ethan is a local amateur MMA fighter. I've been fortunate to be present for at least, I think, two of your fights, Ethan. Uh, if it's all right, if you could introduce yourself to the Kelly Patrick Show audience, who's Ethan Riley? Uh, I'm Ethan Riley, born and raised in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, west side my whole life. Uh, graduated out of Oak Hills High School and uh, pretty much been doing this uh, MMA gig for about 10 years now. Finally, feel like I'm getting uh, getting it off the ground a bit here lately. Looking to get it even more off the ground here soon. How how old are you? Uh, 24. Okay, uh, turn 25 next month. So you've been training 
since you were 14 years old or 15? Yep. Okay. years old. And where did that training start at? Uh, it started at a club MMA, uh, obviously ran by uh, Jeff Robinson. Uh, how that worked was uh, whenever I got into high school, I was going to join a wrestling team. But I started seeing flyers for club MMA around my school. And I was already a fight fan at the time and knew wrestling would have eventually led to that anyway. So I'm just like, eh, let's just get the start in the MMA thing. Okay. Very interesting. Um, so you got started right away at age 14 training specifically for MMA. So when you say you've been training for 10 years for MMA, um, you're not, you know, you're not, not, exa- really, not exaggerating. You were never focusing specifically on jujitsu or specifically on boxing or anything like that. It was always MMA uh, all in one. Yep. Yep. Muay Thai and jiu-jitsu right away with uh, wrestling and boxing mixed in right away. Never just one thing. Uh, as far as competition goes, uh, two years in, I started getting into Muay Thai competitions and did a little bit of jiu-jitsu competitions. But yeah, the goal was always mixed martial arts and fighting. Okay. In hindsight, do you think your strategy you took was ideal for MMA? Or could you argue it would have been a better strategy or route for you to do the wrestling in hindsight i will say i probably i wish i would have gotten a little bit of wrestling under my belt but i feel like i still i've still done pretty good with just the full mma route too but if somebody was coming up and they kind of explained the same thing to me as far as their experience i would say try out wrestling try out wrestling and see how you do there okay because I do think, especially watching UFC and uh, other MMA promotions, wrestling's the best base to get into MMA, obviously. So having that under your belt and being able to dictate where the fight goes, it's not bad to have that. Okay. Um, if it's all right, we can walk through. Actually, is there anything else uh, uh, about Ethan Riley before we jump into the specifics of your amateur fight career? Uh, any other details you're leaving out? I know you you take some funny selfies online. I I hate to bring this up. <laughs> I do think I've seen you taking a selfie while you're taking a dump. That's pretty cool. Oh yeah, toilet times with this guy, man. That's my thing. Uh, it was more of the thing whenever I was working at Kroger, kind of sticking it to the man a little bit, but don't really do it too much anymore. We'll still uh, do it every now and then. Anyone ever but, conf- uh, anyone ever confront you about that? Like, hey, man. You posted this dumping selfie at 3.42, and you were on the clock at that time. Anything like that ever happened? Nope. Nothing ever happened. <laughs> how, how long did you work for Kroger? Uh, I was there for about six years from 2015 to 2021. Okay. Interesting. What, what, do, yeah. you, what do you do now? Uh, well, now... Like I said, trying to get the MMA thing off the ground, but uh, I am helping assist coach at my uh, gym, Club MMA, helping with the little kids up there. I am getting a little bit of that. Uh, Outside of that, I've tried door dashing a little bit. It's kind of hard right now with the gas prices, but still will do that every now and then if I need some change. Okay. Um, I think I interrupted you there. Are there any other details um, that that go into... 
to Ethan Riley? Any other backs relevant backstory? Uh, you know this. Uh, T1 that stands for type one diabetes. So yep. obviously, I'm gonna rep that everywhere I go. That's a big. That's a big part of my life. So what? What age yeah, were like, you diagnosed with with type one diabetes? Uh, I was diagnosed in 2010, so I was 12 at the time, going on 13. Okay. Didn't you fight an, uh, another fighter who also was type type 1 diabetic? Yep, George Nichols. Okay, so I think I was present for that fight also. So let's see here. Probably, um, let me take a look. I may be wrong. Maybe I wasn't actually there, but I remember at least doing a preview episode, maybe with Hacker, where somehow we discussed yeah. we discussed that. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, when did you stop commentating, Kelly? You know, I think I stopped um, in 2021. It was shortly after Corona. Basically, what a brief summary of what happened is, you know, B2 and the Hard Rock MMA promotion grew and grew, and it kept growing. And I had kind of factored into my schedule. I've got three kids and a wife. I had factored into my schedule. I could do about 10 or 11 shows a year. And then mm-hmm. the CEO of the B2 Fighting Series ended up reaching out to me and saying, hey, we want you to do every event. So I'd be working like 30 or 40 weekends out of the year. So that would have been a big jump up. And I was like, no, thanks. I'll just keep doing this, you know, 10 or 11 events per year. Then they reached out to me again and offered to me again. I was like, no, thanks. I can't do that. And then eventually they, you know, they found someone to take my place, which is all good. I mean, I, you know, I get yeah. it. Yeah, I, I was just asking because I remember you definitely commentated uh, my first fight with uh, David Richardson. I think he was there for the uh, Travis Hudson fight, too. I could be wrong there, but I know you was definitely involved in my first two. Correct. Yeah, I was for the David Richardson, and then your second fight was against Travis, Travis Hudson. Hudson. Yep. Yeah, so yeah. I was definitely definitely commentated uh, both of those fights, so it was very uh, memorable. Uh, the David – so – your your type so before we jump into analyzing your amateur career and talking about the your future as a I'm sure a pro, um, mm-hmm. why is repping the type one diabetic thing important to you? You don't seem like a real corny guy. You seem like you've got a, a good sense of humor, but that clearly is something that's important to you. Why is that? Well. Because I remember when I was first diagnosed, I thought there was going to be so much, like, am I cool to cuss on here? Say whatever the fuck you want. Yes, sir. All right. I I thought there was going to be a lot of shit that I wouldn't be able to do because of it. But once I found MMA and I was able to kind of, like, vent to my coaches about diabetes and wanting to fight and them confirming to me that it wouldn't be a big deal, I just kind of, like, wanted out there, like, hey – just because you got this doesn't mean you can't go on and play. Like, I know there's football players and basketball players that got it too, but fighting's a whole different animal when it comes to being a diabetic. So I just want it to be known that if you're a diabetic and you are involved in martial arts or combat sports, you can make something out of it. It does like Just make sure you keep yourself under control, your blood sugars and all that. Make sure you keep a good sense of your body and how it's reacting and, do what you got to do. What does the maintenance for your type 1 diabetes look like? I mean, are you injecting yourself? I mean, I'm, I'm very naive when it comes to that, but 
How, how does that look? Do you have some days that are good and some days that are not as good? What does that look like? Uh, honestly, during camp, it's a little easier to kind of uh, take care of because I'm dieting already and stuff like that. But outside of camp, not going to lie, I like to pig out a little bit so the blood sugars will fluctuate a little bit more. But in camp, it's pretty easy to maintain. I do uh, I do, do injections whenever I eat. Uh, obviously, I'm checking usually before and after every workout and stuff like that. And then probably about four times a day I'm checking. Okay. Um, interesting. And I... Professional athletes that come to mind who have type 1 diabetes, for me, I think Alex Smith, the quarterback, is that right? I, I forget. I, number one overall pick, at a, I think it was maybe, I forget, uh, Utah or I don't know, somewhere like that, but an NFL quarterback's type 1 diabetes. Anyone else come to mind for you who's type 1 diabetes who's really made it as a professional athlete? Uh, if you count professional wrestling, uh, Kyle O'Reilly, he's, a one, he's one of them. Okay. I'd say that counts, right? Make some serious. Not going to lie, my, uh, I'm kind of ignorant as far as NFL. Like, I know about it, but NFL and NBA, I'm not too big of a fan of. So, kind of ignorant on that end of the spectrum. Okay. Do you have any sports that you enjoy outside of combat sports? Um, not really. Like, I played a little bit of baseball growing up, but... I was never, like, interested in the MLB, really, or nothing like that. just played it just to keep active during the summer, really. Okay. Um, you have trained under... Uh, can you hear me? Oh, I'm sorry. Are you, are you there? Ethan, can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Let's see. I think some type of the signal is breaking up. Oh, I think you're back. You there? Yeah, yeah, I'm back. Okay. You got me? Yes. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the basement right now, so the signal's kind of iffy. It's all good. Um, yeah. Okay, so you have trained under uh, Jeff Robinson at Club MMA for 10 years. Tell me about the gym. Man, whenever I first started there, we were just at a little corner at the end of Ebenezer Road at the time. You're in Louisville, so you don't know where that's at, but it was just a small little joint. You could probably only get... 30 people on the mat at a time, if that. Then we started, we moved to another location, and it grew a little bit. We were able to get some more fight camp stuff going on there. And then now at the location that we got, we're able to fit probably close to 100 people on the mat, and we got the cage set up in the gym now. So it's been awesome seeing, obviously, the gym itself grow along with the clientele and the people that we're getting into train now been an awesome journey man good people there say what good people there yeah good people there i assume i mean i, I guess my experience with with like where i trained gracie jiu-jitsu kentucky louisville combat academy great place great people i a testament to that is i bring my kids there and i feel very comfortable even leaving there leaving them there when i'm not there i assume it's a similar environment for you at, at club mma Definitely, definitely. I can. I pretty much consider them extended family at this point, whether it's like looking at them as father figures or brother figures or, you know, just anything like that. I feel like we got a good, like, family vibe going on at Club MMA for sure. Okay. 
Um, all right, so if it's all right, let's jump into analyzing your five amateur MMA fights. Um, right off the bat, we started in October of 2020. As we said earlier, I was fortunate to commentate that alongside Alex Hacker. You went against David Richardson, who did have a pretty serious wrestling uh, background. If I remember correctly, I think that fight was probably at 185. Is that right? Let me see. Yeah, yeah, that was 185. Is that your only fight you've had at 185? Yeah, yeah. So the story with that one is uh, we were right out of quarantine. Sorry about that. We were right out of quarantine, and I had put on a little bit of weight. We knew that 170 was going to be my home eventually, but we were just doing 185, so I wouldn't have to do, like, a big wake up for my first fight, you know. And what did you know about David Richardson headed into the fight? Other than he, I assume, you know, he looked, you know, like an Adonis. He was, like, very muscular, uh, physically imposing guy. I think his nickname's Godbody now, which I don't know how I feel about the nickname, but it's pretty fitting either way. Uh, yeah, I knew he had a college background. Uh, I knew that he was involved in some uh, youth developing stuff for struggling kids coming up and stuff like that. That's pretty much all I knew about him heading into it. Okay. And watching the fight, um, I haven't, you know, I haven't rewatched it in some time, but just based off my memory, um, David spent a lot of time, of course, on top. You spent more time on the bottom. And I could tell watching it that you, although, you know, David was freakishly strong and he was good at having a top game, that you did have a jujitsu game and you were working on, I think, a, a Kimura from closed guard multiple times. And it didn't quite, you know, obviously it's, I, I, I do, I train jujitsu. I know that it's like, sometimes I can get a Kimura from closed guard, but then sometimes people are just fucking, you know, jacked. And it's like more difficult yeah. to do certain moves to certain people is my, and it went the distance. So it was three, three minute rounds. He won a decision. Is my memory of that fight somewhat consistent with yours? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and you're right. I, you're right about the Kimura attempt, too. I know the Kimura in jiu-jitsu, it's usually more of a strong man's move. If you're the stronger guy, you're probably going to be able to use it. And I wasn't the stronger guy in that fight. But a lot of uh, just a lot of the drills we did for that camp, like, revolved around Kimuras, whether it was getting the Kimura or using it to sweep or stand up. So that was just what was ingrained heading into that fight pretty much. I'm not being critical at all. I'm, you know what I mean? I have, I, have no, I have no idea what the hell I would do in there with that guy. So it's not like I'm – but the, my memory is I was thinking I could tell you had more like submission grappling experience than this guy. Um, and yeah. you were working on that. So at certain points I was engaged watching it and I was like, oh, shit, is he going to get it? And so that's kind of the narrative that I remember from that fight. Yeah, the Kimura was never there, but I remember triangle and armbar attempts. Those were pretty close. That's those right. Were pretty close. Okay. Yeah. So you started your amateur career off 0-1. Was that discouraging at all? No, not really. Uh, a, who I was – like, dude, I remember being in the back for that fight, and people were watching Richardson walk around, and I'm warming up, and they're like, man, I feel bad for us to fight that guy, and I'm just over there warming up like, yeah, that's me. (laughs) 
So I, I, I pretty much knew what I was getting into, and to be able to have the performance that, like, don't get me wrong, I don't think that I won that fight by any stretch of the imagination, you know? I was on bottom the whole time. You can't win fights in MMA from being on bottom like that. But it was a good learning experience. I still was able to get my licks off in that fight, and I pretty much just said, all right, on to the next one and probably dropping down to 170. Okay. Um, overall good experience with the, the B2 fighting series for that debut fight. Everything went pretty smooth. Definitely, yeah. I've heard some horror stories about how it can go at like some regional shows and amateur and some amateur events. So I say overall that was probably about the best first experience you could probably get getting into MMA. Okay. Um, moving right along, you got back in there. So let's see. Once again, that fight was October of 2020. Your next fight was what seven? Months later, you got back in there once again for the B2 Fighting Series against Travis Hudson. Now, full disclosure, Travis Hudson's a friend of mine. I get to train with him uh, regularly. And I got to say, he's he is 0-2 in his amateur career. Uh, um, but I, I get to train with some pretty good pro fighters regularly. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm very good. I'm, you know, I'm really not. I'm a hobbyist. But I do know what it feels like to train with some pretty good pro fighters. And Travis Hudson's a fucking beast. Um, I'm not yeah. just saying that. He's strong as shit. Like, you can't, you know, I, I can't choke him, can't submit him, and he's fucking, like, hard to get down, and he's just fucking strong. I don't know what it is. He hasn't been training very long. Even till today, I don't think he's even been training for two years. Um, but yeah. what, what was your memory of your fight, your second amateur matchup, which was against Travis Hudson? I always say this about Travis Hudson, even though I'm three fights removed from that now, I, he's probably had me in the most trouble as far as like positions and even rocking me a little bit and clinch exchanges that we had. Uh, I remember going into it. I felt like I was in probably the best shape I had ever been in up to that point, obviously, just because getting down to 170 and all that, I felt like, the camp overall heading into that fight was a better camp than it was heading into the Richardson fight. So I felt pretty much primed and ready. Uh, but nah, Travis, he hit me with some good shots on on my way into the clinch. And uh, I remember in that second round, he had me in a pretty good guillotine attempt. But even though he didn't get the guillotine, he still used it to uh, sweep me into a mount, which I'm just like, oh shit, you know. Had me in a bad spot. But I felt like overall... I was able to impose what little wrestling I have, and then I was able to keep my dis my distance with my kicking game at that fight pretty good. Okay, so of course you came yeah. came away. Oh, I'm sorry. What was that? Uh, I just recent uh, after my last fight, uh, I forget who it was, but it was one of Travis's guys. So I'm sure you know him, but I forget his name. I was talking to him, and I made sure to let him know, like, dude, out of the out of the five fights I've had. Travis has probably like had me in the most trouble out of all those five fights so far. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him get back in there whenever he can. Yeah. Amateur MMA is an interesting thing, you know, because you, you started mm -hmm. out Owen one as an amateur. Um, so really you can see someone who's two and O or three and O amateur or Owen two amateur. And you really have to be like, 
okay, let's really dive into who the fuck did they fight. Yeah. So, so yeah. if you fought some real good studs on the amateur uh, circuit, that's very relevant. And then, you know, the other way, too, if you, you – I mean, no offense to people out there who have a 1-0 or 2-0 record and fought some bums, but it happens, and it's possible. It does happen. So, it I does mean, happen. yeah, very relevant, especially for amateur MMA. It's all about matchups, man. That's just how it is. And I, and I rubbed shoulders with uh, – I trained with Jalen Turner, who beat Travis in their first fight. That, that dude's a stud, too, whenever he gets back in there. I look forward to seeing what he can do. So, yeah, if Travis can get himself back in there, man. I've talked to him a little bit, and I know he's had, what, hand problems, I believe? Mm-hmm. He's had, he's had some hand problems, so if he can get past that, man, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do, whether it's at 70 or I heard he might even do 55, but no matter what, looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, he, he's definitely a beast. Okay, so moving right along, that was in May of 2021. You got back in there in September of 2021 against Elijah Woodruff for the B2 Fighting Series 134. Once again, you won a, a unanimous decision. What's your memory of this, of this fight, of this matchup? I remember going into that fight like, all right, this is where I prove that I'm like at a different echelon than some of these other welterweights because I, I watched Elijah's fight with, uh, who was it, Liam Hamill? Uh, yeah, he fought Lee. Yep. Yeah, he fought Liam Hamill. He did all right in that fight, didn't get the win. But then in his next fight, he got the, uh, I think it was the ninja choke on, dude. Yeah, um, it, already, it lists it here as a dark, a darse, but I didn't see it. I think it was a ninja choke, okay. but either way, he got, he got the sub. I remember going into that fight like, all right, one and one. I got to I gotta get this two and one. I got to get the positive record going, you know what I'm saying? So, went into that fight. uh I knew he had the grappling advantage, not grappling advantage, but I knew he had the wrestling advantage. Uh, he starts off right away with the clinch. I was able to rock him in the clinch with some knees to the body, and then from there, outside of a couple takedowns from him, I was able to once again just keep my distance with my kicks and hurt him with some of the head kicks and body shots throughout that fight. Okay. Um, so that's kind of the, the basic basic summary of the fight in hindsight is there was a couple couple uh, minimal exchanges where you had maybe a, um, a, 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 just a little bit of an issue, but for the most part, you controlled that fight. You feel that was one of your top performances. Yeah, yeah. He caught me with a good left right off the bat, but outside of that, I feel like I didn't take too much damage in that fight. He got two takedowns, uh, but other than that, I was able to protect myself for the most part and hurt him upstairs with my kicking game. Okay. So that for my we- first three for my first three fights you'll notice that it's gonna be a lot about kicks and keeping that distance. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that was September of twenty twenty one. In February of twenty twenty two you got back in there against George Nichols for the B two fighting series one forty eight. I got a funny story about that one if you want to hear it. <laughs> let's hear it. And and nothing's off the table. Really, don't hold back. Uh, if it's inappropriate, that's okay. The more details, the better. I got you. I got you. So, I entered camp at about 
January, at the beginning of January, took a week, took two weeks off at the end of the year, and then got back in there in January. We got a text message from uh, Hard Rock saying, you're fighting Mike Purdue. Okay, so we, we game plan for this guy. I didn't know this until the week of the fight. Mike Purdue, I guess, had to drop out or they never had the fight schedule. There was some miscommunication with my coach, but that fight was never officialized. So I hit Hard Rock up the day before weigh-ins, like, hey, I never got a fighter packet because they always send us a fighter packet with our names, our entrance songs, our nicknames, all that stuff. And he's just like, we don't got you a fight. And I'm just like, what? I've been training for eight weeks for Mike Purdue, and you're telling me now I don't got a fight? So he's like, hold on, hold on. I'll, I'll situate this. Uh, let me figure it out. And then he hits me back up and my coach saying, all right, we got you a fight. It's against George Nichols. And when I heard it was George, I was kind of like, oh, because – me and George had we've messaged we've messaged each other back and forth even before the fight, just bullshitting about uh, diabetes and both of us being diabetic. So it was a little bittersweet, but we got there the next day. We shook hands, like, "Hey, thanks for accepting the fight on such late notice. Let's go out and put on a fucking show, beat the shit out of each other." And we did that. And I think uh, I had a couple guys hit me up that fall on the same card and said. That was probably fight of the night that night, so I kind of take that with me a little bit as far as, you know, good observations from my peers and shit. Okay, so that was arguably fight of the night that night. What's your summary of what happened inside the cage? Uh, well, we didn't have to really switch up the game plan too much. Uh, Mike Purdue didn't really have too much film on him, so we were just really game planning around just me getting better period nothing really too much with him and then there was really not too much to go off of George neither because he only had one fight at the time so we just kind of went in there did our thing uh once again I felt like my punches uh my punches was better this time uh the kicks were still probably the mainstay uh George and I told him this after the fight too he's if he can keep his wrestling going he can get pretty far in MMA because he's got a pretty explosive uh, double leg going on whenever he can get like some good pop in his hips on him because he took me for a ride a couple times in that fight. Okay, and you won a unanimous decision. Do you think it was very close? No, not really. I felt like uh, I think the judges scored it 29-28, but I thought I could have taken all three rounds. Okay. All right, uh, moving right along, your next fight and your most recent fight, once again for the B2 Fighting Series, was uh, just last month against Wilder at an Area 502 MMA here in Louisville, Kentucky. Headed into that fight, Wilder was 3-0. and He's a young guy. Um, I guess he's the same age as you. He's 24. Um, but, yeah. you know, he, like I said, he was 3-0. and he had a real nice knockout that was kind of highlight reel worthy. Um, headed into the matchup, what were your thoughts? What did you know about Wilder? And what type of a matchup did you expect? Uh, this was one where I paid attention to the rankings a little bit. I was ranked 15 and he was ranked 9. 
I had watched the Mondelli fight a little bit after it happened, so he had been on my radar for a while. Uh, I knew I felt like he was going to be tough. I knew he was going to be hard to get out of there, and he was kind of like built in the same cloth as me as far as he's tough and he was he wasn't going to go out easily. He wasn't going to be easy to get out of there. So I felt like going into this one, I had the best camp that I could have had as far as getting better throughout the camp. My strength and conditioning was on point and just felt like I prioritized the finish here, even though I knew he was a tough guy, just because all my fights leading up to it were all decisions. I'm just like, I got to get this guy out of here. I know he's tough, but I got to get this guy out of here and show like where I'm at at the welterweight division right now. Uh, as far as how the fight went, once again, I feel like my distance management was a big part of it. He was able to get in on me, but I felt like he kind of wore himself out trying to wrestle me too much. And then once we broke off in the middle of the round, I felt him. There's something, something changed between how it started and where we were at then. I was able to rock him. And he even got my back toward the end of the round, but I didn't really feel like he was trying to finish. He was trying to just kind of get some rest there. And then I was able to spin around and finish the round on top. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, I, I got this. I got this. So we go into the second round. I'm doing my thing. He shoots kind of a bad takedown. I'm going for the Darce, but he's going. He's doing a pretty good job at defending it. So I'm hearing my coaches calling for me to take the back. I take his back, and from there I pretty much know that it's Game, set, match. I get the finish. And it was a referee stoppage. Um, let's see here. From strikes. Um, yep. So you got his back. And play by play, what happened from there? Uh, so I got his back. Uh, he did try to roll out of it. And I ended up uh, getting the body triangle on him. I did. I did try to finish the rear naked wasn't happening, but I wanted to make sure I maintained that top position, so I let go of the body triangle and kept pounding him, and then eventually he gave up his front, and I'm just like, where you at, Bobby? Come on, you got to stop this. <laughs> yeah, there, there was there was a decent amount of unanswered strikes, so yeah, I'm just like, come on, get him out of here. This is it. <laughs> so... How much more rewarding is it to get a finish versus a decision win, even a unanimous decision win? Is it that big of a deal to get a finish? Uh, now that it happened, like, not really. Like, there's just, there's just a reward in getting the win, period. Like, I will say this, right after you get the finish, it's way more rewarding. But once every once the adrenaline settled down and all that all that all that is wore off, you're just happy you got the win. You've had an interesting uh, amateur career so far because for your first one, two, three, four fights, they all went the distance. Mm-hmm. Right? So you've had what, twelve entire thirteen entire rounds? of amateur in-cage experience. You got to say that's a good thing for the sake of, of uh, you know, preparing you for a pro career. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I always say this too, like, even though my fights, for the first four fights, they went to a decision, 
I do kind of take pride in that as far as cardio goes because I do take pride in being a guy that feels like he can weaponize his cardio and his pace. And by the end of the third round, I still feel like I could have gone more. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I definitely feel like that's a good – like, even though I didn't get the finishes, it's still a good thing as far as experience goes. A couple of random questions. Do you have an all-time favorite MMA fighter? Uh, Carlos Condit. Oh, shit. Okay. Why? Uh, I just felt like he was a guy that he didn't really care where the fight went. He was one of the first guys I seen that didn't really care where the fight went, whether he was on his back or not. He was always looking to damage and always looking to fuck you up, whether it was standing or on the ground and whether he was on his back or on top. And another guy, too, that weaponizes cardio. You wasn't seeing him gas out over five rounds. Do you have any secrets to your cardio? Mm, not really. I think, honestly, it might just be a genetic thing. I can get off the couch after a month and still have pretty decent cardio, I feel like. <laughs> okay. Um, you seem to have a pretty good sense of humor. Do you, in your opinion, is there one movie that's the funniest movie of all time? Or TV show, or both? South Park's definitely the funniest TV show of all time. Okay, hard to argue uh, with that. Okay. As far as movies go, I don't know if it's the funniest movie of all time, but if I need a laugh, I put on Wolf on Wall Street. <laughs> okay, okay. It's definitely that, that definitely pretty, entertaining, yes. That, that one's pretty fucking funny. He's fucking uh, doing the blow out of the hooker's ass and shit. I'm just like, get it, Leonardo. <laughs> nah, that, I, I'm a big fan of Scorsese, so I, I love that movie. Okay. Good stuff. I appreciate you coming on, Ethan. Before we wrap things up, do you have any plugs or anything you would like to mention? Uh... Yeah, I think uh, we're supposed to be fighting nothing official yet. Uh, we got a bunch of club MMA fighters wanting to fight in Bowling Green in October, so hopefully you'll hear some news about that coming soon. Uh, as far as plugs go, uh, I guess just follow me on Instagram at EJRiley810. Okay, and if you had to predict, this is another random question. Coaches probably don't appreciate me answer asking this, but I don't really, you know, I'm an interviewer. Um, how long do you think until you go pro? One or two fights. Oh, shit. Okay. Oh, one or two. And 100, 170 pounds is probably your destination weight class? Yeah, I might move back up to 85 before it's all said and done, but I'm still making 70 pretty easily it's always a tough cut but i never feel feel that fear not making it like i always make it and i'm always good for it mind mentioning around what you walk around at uh at my heaviest i get up to about 200 okay okay yeah i usually start camps at about 95 but yeah whenever i'm in my off like right now about 200 okay um yeah. Good stuff, Ethan Riley. Once again, really appreciate you coming on. Hopefully, I'll get to chat with you again sometime soon. Best of luck in your upcoming fights. I know everybody around here has been following you. I get to, like I said, I train with Travis 
Hudson. And so, you know, we always have a close eye on your career and have really enjoyed watching uh, you develop into what looks like a really, you know, the legitimate uh, fucking pro prospect. So thank you very much for joining me, Ethan. Have a great rest of your day. No problem, man. Thanks, Kelly. And uh, if you see Travis, let him know. I said, what's up? Will do. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the Kelly Patrick show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon. 